Well, good morning. It's really wonderful to be here. Uh, we haven't done a lot of speaking since we've been back in the States, which we came back about, uh, about eight months ago, right? Uh, but it's fun to be here at David's church. Uh, you know, I, I, well, God's church, yeah, the church that you're serving in. But I went to see you at Tarleton and then also at First Colleen. And so now I feel like, you know, I've got my David set back together and it's good. But my roots with this church actually go back uh, before it began. I was uh, good friends with Tina Carter, who started a different church in the same location. We went to seminary together. And then Wade and I... Uh, we're new church pastors, and so we would go to these new church pastor seminars together. And it's really fun to just see what God is doing in this place with these people. And I really am happy to be here. I never thought that uh, I would ever have this opportunity to speak about being a missionary. Um, when I was pastor at Foundation Church about 12 years ago, um, we were just happy, normal people doing God's call up there, and then we'll, we'll share a little bit about that story later. But um, I want to start with the scripture today, and our scripture is Psalm 37, and this is a psalm from the time when uh, the David wrote, not this David, I mean <laughs> the David he's named after. And it's, it's a psalm when he was, uh, it was, after he had slain Goliath, but before he had ascended to the kingship. And so the current king was persecuting him and chasing him all over. But the question that he asks in this psalm is the same question that a lot of us ask in life, is why do the wicked people, why do they prosper while the good people some seem to suffer? And it's like the psalm before it. And they're both dealing with this. And in the middle, very middle of, of these two psalms, there's some beautiful words and promises that God makes. And so the, the words that God promises, and these promises have been a rock in our uh, ministry and in our lives, that when things weren't going as we expected them, we could always fall back on them. And it says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It was a few years ago when we were in Ghana. Um, we'd been there, I think, two years, and a friend of us said, uh, we, were, uh, we were used to living there, but we weren't quite comfortable in what we were doing. And she told us, she said, you know, sometimes I think, I think God calls us to do something. And then after we answer that call, God changes it to what he really wanted done. And in a way, I think this is what Psalm 37 is speaking to. It's um, maybe the, the, the applied version of it, that sometimes God calls you to what you'll say yes to, and then once there, changes it. Maybe it's like Psalm 37 for dummies. That, that we get there and, and, and God, we have our trust in God because we've answered the call to do it. And it doesn't have to be traveling across the oceans. It can be just crossing the street or going and sharing a word with our neighbors. And then once we get there, we realize it's something different. That we trust in the Lord. 
when we trust in the Lord and do good, when we dwell in the land, and that means crossing over into their world. We live among the people that we're wanting to reach. We eat the food that they eat. We dress like them. We uh, start with what they know and then build upon it. And when you do that, God sustains it. God builds on it. And then God changes it for what God wanted it to be. Trust in the Lord and do good, he continues. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. The King James says that same past, King James Version says safe pasture is more like feast on his faithfulness. That when you trust in the Lord, you can feast on his faithfulness. And this pasture is that pasture in which we can lie down in. This pasture between, beside the still waters that refreshes our soul. So we take delight in the Lord, and he will give us the desires of our heart. I think if, any, if we learned anything these past 12 years in being in ministry, it's that sometime God calls you to what you'll say yes to. And then once you've moved halfway across the country, across the nation, or just across the street, or across the pond, God changes that call. Because God really knows you better than you know yourself, knows the desires of your heart. Maybe you don't know what they are, but our dear Lord does, and wants nothing more than for you to have the desires of your heart. Because God created you for a reason. God created you for a purpose. And God knows that and God wants to bring it to life in your life. Now I want to introduce my wife, Suzanne, and she's going to tell us a little bit about how we got to Ghana and uh, take it from there. All right. Thank you. Um, so uh, 12 years ago, or maybe 13 years ago now, uh, Steve and I were very happy, uh, United Methodist pastor. I was an associate professor at Southwestern University, um, and we had absolutely zero idea that we would become missionaries. What we did have is kind of a, what we describe now as a holy restlessness. Like, you know, we, we felt like we were just a little restless in what we were doing. And uh, so I applied for a Fulbright, uh, which is a US Department of State program. And we went to, uh, we got it and took the whole family to Ghana to Ashesi University, where we um, then went back to later as missionaries. And uh, we thought of it as a one-year adventure and kind of as, as God knows the desires of your heart better than we sometimes do. Um, we got there and immediately clicked with the university, with the mission of the university, which was to provide an excellent education on the continent so that uh, students didn't have to go abroad to get a good education. And when students go abroad, they often don't go back, and which is the brain drain. So this was a university that was started by a Ghanaian uh, who schooled in the US at Swarthmore College and then UC Berkeley, and he went back and started this not-for-profit secular uh, university in order to, to have this educational mission. And the mission of the university was to provide ethical leadership training in addition to regular majors, so business, uh, computer science, engineering, uh, but then to send students out to try to transform their societies from within with good ethical leadership principles and good um, structural majors and knowledge. So uh, we loved it there. 
And uh, when our two years were up, we ended up extending a second year. Uh, we really didn't feel like we were supposed to come home again. But looking at all the logical structures in place, we had children we wanted to get through college. We didn't really see how we could possibly stay. So we came back uh, to the US and resumed our lives. I went back to a Southwestern University, was a professor. You went back into being a pastor in the Central Texas Conference. Uh, but we had what we call our holy restlessness 2.0, which is that we just didn't really feel like this was where we were supposed to be uh, for the long term. So while we were there, uh, at, basically at St. Philip's, David and I are working together, having a grand time. Things are going really well, but that holy restlessness is just coming. And I think that we knew that God would, we knew, we hoped God would call us back there. Mm -hmm. And finally, that decision was made that we really needed to, you, had, you heard a word from the Lord, that it was time to go back. So... In 2014, we returned to Ghana. Now, my father always said, finish what you start. And it was time for us to finish what we had started there in those two years. But this time, we decided we were moving back for good. I mean, not for good, but we were moving back to do good, mm -hmm. to, to live in the land and, the, and to do good. And... I re returned as, and I was teaching now at the university, teaching leadership and this informal chaplain, sort of like what you were at Tarleton, you know, that, that you're this chaplain to the students, so you get to know them really well. And teaching leadership was just a way that I would get to know 10 students every year and really get to pour into their lives so, such that um, they saw the love of God in what we did and how we did it. Our sending organization is, is a missionary organization, but we're not the kind of missionaries that stand on the corner and raise the Bible up or beat people with it. We're the kind of missionaries that just live our lives, and in the doing of them and how we do them, people see the love of Christ in what we do. And so I taught leadership. I was a spiritual mentor. And I work with students along the way. Now, um, let's, yeah, this is, this is Francis. Francis was from Kenya. And he was, he was a student I taught to drive. Now, uh, we call that dangerous discipleship. <laughs> because Friday, every Thursday or Friday afternoon would get and would be trapped in the car for about two or three hours driving some of these horrible African roads. You know, France, and sometimes we'd just go off in the bush just because. So what Francis wrote uh, after he graduated here is he says, uh, I miss how we used to go looking for trouble in the village, which <laughs> means driving. <laughs> and also how I learned to release the clutch slowly and press the gas a bit. On February 27th, I learned my first driving lesson. You've always played a big role in my life. I never had anyone calling me son whenever I messed up. But you did, and the, and the note you gave me at church made me feel so loved. Too much to remember, oh. Ghana, Ghanaians, when they want to stress something, they put oh at the end of it. Like we'd say, it's cold, oh, today. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> And so uh, this is just a little note that he, he sent me uh, after, after we had returned. Um, our next guy I just want to show you about, and this is Queso. 
I know we think queso is cheese, and so his name was really easy to remember. Queso was from the Gambia, and um, he, he was a Muslim student, but we got to be such great friends. And uh, we, this is, he would go around and have uh, lunch with people, and then that was on his graduation that we got to see him too. And he was also my advisee for, yes. um, I, I was his advisor for his capstone project. He was a computer science yeah. major. But Casey was one of my guys that uh, when I needed something done and it needed to be done sort of under the radar of the university, <laughs> I'd saddle up to Queso. And, and you, know how, you know how guys are wired. You give them, you give them a clear hill to charge that's achievable in, in a short time, and they'll pour everything into it. We had a Gambian student um, who was there, and she just wasn't connecting with the university. And I could tell that for, in about two weeks, she was going to go home. So I kind of saddled up to Queso, and I said, Queso, son, I, need, I have a job for you. And I just talked to him. I said, now, this is your purpose. This is your job. And I want you to devote your two weeks of your life to do that. <laughs> and, you know, and Queso charged that hill like you wouldn't believe. And she ended up um, not leaving the university, and it was just a beautiful thing. But Queso had so much pride in, in what he had done in, in this. And although he was Muslim and we used to do all these Muslim things together, it was also, this is the love of God and, 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 and the love of Jesus in it. It was really just an amazing, amazing friendship. So one more Queso story. A lot of these guys don't have fathers because their fathers died, and so I got to pour into him that way. Um, Queso graduated. He took a job in, in uh, the big city in the middle of the country, and then he got mad and he quit his job. And he called me on Saturday afternoon and said, Dad, I, I quit my job. And I said, Queso, you don't quit your job until you have another job lined up. I said, you march right back into that office on Monday morning and you beg for your job back. And he did. The great thing about being a dad to these guys, it's kind of like what I call being a TV dad. A, your kids listen to you and they do what you say and they're thankful. Now, some of you may not have that experience yet with your kids, but it was really awesome having all these young African sons this way who got to know me, know my heart. I got to know them, got to know their heart. And through all of it, we saw and demonstrated the love of God. There's one other thing I want to show you, and this is the... Um, we, we did a, a faith versus religion town hall. The faith versus religion was, if you ask somebody in Ghana, uh, what is your faith? They'll tell you your religion. If I asked you, Josh, what is your faith? And you said, oh, I'm United Methodist. Like, no, <laughs> you're a follower of Jesus first, who happens to do it in the Methodist way. But this idea that faith and religion are the same thing. And so we started with some students uh, from, the, from the, the Catholic students and the Protestant students. We got them together and we worked through it. Unbeknownst to us, it jumped over into the Muslim students' community. So they were going through these exercises too. And then we got everyone together in a town hall and asked them through um, a series of questions the differences between faith and religion. Were they equal? Was faith bigger than religion? Were they not equal? Was faith less than religion? And so this is sort of the, um, I'll just read off the, 
the results of what it, at the end we had them talk about it was. So faith is God-given. They came up. I didn't give this to them. They came up with it. But religion is earthbound, meaning that if you expect whatever comes after heaven to be a religious place, you're going to be disappointed because it's based on faith. Yes, whatever comes next in this life, it will not be a religious place. That's what Dorcas had said right there. And that she said, I came to faith by religion. However, religion cannot exist without faith, but faith can be, can, and faith cannot be expressed without religion. So they are tied together. It was great because our students, we tried to teach them critical thinking skills where they would see a problem and they would wrestle with it. And they were showing what they, can, what they could do there. That was, a, that was a Muslim student right there who said that. And what if we all share a common faith at our core, but it is expressed differently based on our culture? Religion shows how a culture expresses its faith. And then at the end, we took a vote, and they said that faith does not equal religion but that idea that faith is expressed through religion. This is stuff they came up with in their discussions. First one-on-one with another, and then groups of four, and then groups of eight. And then at the end, we had them report back and said these things. And I got to see the impact that we had there just in that one night, really opening up what was going on in their life journey. You know, as a campus pastor, you know that college is an amazing time when you can, people are open, students are open, they're taking off the the faith and the religion of their parents and they're selecting what they're going to wear then. It is a ripe area for discussion and we got to be a part of that. So what were you doing in Ghana? Yeah, so uh, when we were in Ghana the first time, I ended up as acting dean of the university. So when I came back, Uh, I was associate provost and then provost of the university. So um, kind of sharing my expertise that I'd uh, garnered after 15 years at at Southwestern, what we realized about Ashesi was that um, there were, you know, wonderful staff, very competent, brilliant staff, uh, but most of them actually had never worked for a university before. They'd attended one but never worked for one. So I was um, kind of there bringing some structures and, and policies in place. Um, uh, when I was associate provost, I um, had a couple of major successes, which was great. Um, you know, God-given, of course. But um, let's see. The first one, well, uh, so as provost, you asked what a provost does. So I oversaw the, the faculty and the whole academic program. So the registry, the library, the curriculum, all of that stuff. So in addition, uh, while I was there, um, the, on the executive team, we worked at charter for the university. So it used to be a Shesse University College. It's now a Shesse University, which means it can grant its own degrees. Uh, so probably next slide. These slides don't necessarily um, uh, go. But um, the other thing I did was uh, worked on the engineering program. So I'm a computer scientist, not an engineer, uh, but they didn't have any uh, engineers to to do this. So I I led the development of the engineering program by gathering a a lot of my engineering uh, 
associates in the US and you know, made new connections. And so we developed an engineering program and then uh, built buildings, you know, got all the, um, the lab equipment and it was accredited actually in kind of record time, which was definitely God uh, given. The, and then the other thing I did there was a, a Ghana Climate Innovation Center, which was a World Bank project uh, that I was the chassis lead for, and we were able to secure that and launch it. So um, also while there, I was kind of Steve's second in all the things that he was doing um, with the students, but my main job there was, was very much a, a secular job, doing the kind of job I did in the US, but doing it in Ghana where it was really needed and uh, where I did it very consciously as a Christ follower. And being the administrator of a university as a missionary, it was actually really freeing because sometimes when you're making decisions in your job, you're making them strategically based on your career and what would be good for you. But when you're a missionary, you can, you're totally freed up to make decisions that are what God wants and that are godly and that follow God's kingdom. And so. Uh, it's really been a, a wonderful experience for me personally and professionally to be able to do it in that context. So what was it like to be a missionary? Well, first of all, right after we got there, our, our sending organization, TMS Global, changed the name. <laughs> so uh, they both changed their name to TMS Global, but they also changed, they didn't call us missionaries anymore. We were called cross-cultural workers or cross-cultural witnesses, which really annoyed me. <laughs> Not that I wanted to be a missionary, but it, 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 I, it just was so, oh, this is so correct. But I was praying about that, sharing with God my sort of annoyance with it. And then God said, well, just look at the first word, cross-cultural witness. Like, oh, well, that's a much better way to look at it. I like that. So I'm okay with being a cross-cultural worker. But when we say cross-cultural worker in the States, people go, huh? What's that? So here we use the word missionary, but we would never use the word there. In fact, most of the students and faculty didn't know that we weren't paid by the university. We had raised our own support to go there, and with the money that they could have spent with us, they were able to hire uh, quite a number of other people to work for the university. So and, we, oh, go and ahead. this is an image. Uh, on the top of the hill is the university, and then the buildings down below uh, that you see there, that's the village, uh, this uh, village of Barakusu, which um, hosted the university. So that's, that's where we lived. It was a um, very third world National Geographic sort of village. And up on the university side, it was this first world wonderful campus. But I get bored easily, and so I would make, I had a lot of friends in the village, and I'd walk down there and eat what they ate and drank what they drank and, and really hung out with them. That didn't sound good, did it? No. I only drank the water. I didn't, yeah. you know, drink the other stuff. <laughs> And, but I had a lot of friendships there that were really interesting, and we adopted, seemingly adopted a lot of people to help them out also. So the thing about missionaries is we live on support. Um, we go and work places, and uh, sometimes we do it for free. Sometimes they provide housing, and that's usually, that's a really nice way of doing it. But we live on support, and support means that churches um, partner with us. 
Um, David, you and Michelle partnered with us right from the get-go, and, and uh, your father-in-law and father and your father and your, your wife's family partnered <laughs> with us, and our friends Clark and Cindy came on right away. And it was, we live because we can do this, we can be God's witnesses in the world because you are helping us. We had four churches that came alongside us, but mostly it was people like you all who supported us and supported the work that we were doing with God in Ghana. And it, is, it was such a blessing for us, but a blessing for the people that we were going to serve. And I hope that you were blessed by being a part of that also. Um, our lives were very much, if you look at actually the physical things we did, they were very much like what you would probably do if you were living here and working here. But it was just the location that was different. And we did them in a way that Christ followers would do them. We had good friends uh, there. We, on Saturdays, we often took a walk. So here, you might walk around your neighborhood. There, we walked out in the bush. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's the same kinds of things. Um, let's see. Yeah, we, we worked hard, uh, but we also had fun. We played uh, we laughed. We enjoyed life. We lived in the land we among the people. The land, yeah. yeah. And sometimes we had uninvited guests. So <laughs> that is perhaps the biggest scorpion you've ever seen. The biggest, biggest scorpion we'd ever seen. That was right outside our house. Thankfully, not in our house. <laughs> so, yeah. so the campus had about 800 students, and we were the only full-time adults on the campus. They had an, an honor code. So at night, they self-regulated. But if there were problems that you needed an adult in the room, um, they'd come and see us. Thankfully, it wasn't that often. And when it was, you really needed an adult in the room. So tell us about being released. So uh, in June 2018, we, we came back. Uh, starting around that Christmas, we just, as much as we felt like uh, Ashesi and Ghana, we lived and breathed for years, um, Ashesi and Ghana, it sort of supernaturally was released. It was a very odd thing. And as we started to feel this release and talk about it, we realized that they had hired, um, or I had someone in the pipeline and we ended up hiring someone, a Ghanaian who had been in the US who returned uh, to be provost. We hired uh, a new leadership uh, lead faculty. And we realized that not only did we feel released, but God actually put in place all of the people needed to take our jobs, and they were locals, which is exactly, you know, kind of what missionaries are hoping to do, is work themselves out of a job. So we came back to the U.S. in, in June of 2018. Uh, part of God's infinite blessing is that in July 2018, um, our first grandchild was born, so we were there for that, which was awesome. And uh, so since then, we've been trying to figure out what comes next for us. Uh, for a while, we weren't even sure we were supposed to go back overseas again, but we've, we've come to believe that we are. And uh, during this period, um, we have a couple possibilities. We, we did a vision trip, and uh, we right now are moving forward with a church in Hanoi, Vietnam. We're moving forward with a church, and then also there's two different training organizations. One educational training, one is missionary training in Amman, Jordan. And then uh, last one is doing missionary training and debriefing for missionaries in Colorado Springs. So that's, that's what we think uh, are the possibilities at this point. Yeah. And Psalm 37 continues in our life, and there's, 
in verse 7, it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And I think the reason that God is, is not saying go here right away is that each site that we interview with, that we go visit, that we go talk to him, God is working harder and harder to show us the desire of our heart, not just my heart or your heart, but calling us to a mission of serving together in a way that glorifies the Lord. In Acts 1, verse 7, uh, Jesus is pouring out, is, is promising to those people who love him and want to follow him. He's saying that he will pour out his spirit upon them, that you will have power. And this is power to share the gospel in Jerusalem and in Judea and all of Samaria. Now, Jerusalem is where you are right now. It's the neighbors across the street. It's the people that you work with. That you, it's the people all around you. And Judea are the people that are outside where you are. It could be the great state of Texas. It could be Louisiana or even Oklahoma. <laughs> and then you have Judea. And that is the far-flung places that you wouldn't naturally want to go. But God's calling is upon each of us, whether we're sharing it in Jerusalem, here, or whether we're sharing it in Judea, outside the county, or we're sharing it to the world. The point is, it's not where you share, but you are supposed to share to whoever you go. In Matthew 20, it, it says, uh, help me now. That is the... Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Go, therefore, disciples of all nations. Yeah. The go can be considered as you go. So do what you're doing now and how you're doing it now. But as you go, share the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you and what he can do for the world. And what I can say confidently, honestly, I never thought I'd be a missionary. Um, and before I became a missionary, God changed my heart to desire it. So, you know, don't feel too worried about God going to call you into something you're not comfortable into. Of course, there's always a little bit of discomfort whenever you do anything, but um, God will change the desires of your heart. Um, so that's my, my prayer for all of you. Yeah. And... Be okay with it, that sometimes God calls you to what you will say yes to. And then once you answer that call, God changes it. But the thing is, it will feel like the most natural thing in the world. Like, of course, I get what God's doing now. 